So during this Christmas season, we are taking four weeks to study what Matthew's gospel teaches us about Jesus' birth. And we've seen two truths so far. First, we saw that Jesus is the son of Abraham, which means he's the one prophesied in the Old Testament who would be born in the line of Abraham and who would bring God's blessing of salvation to people from every nation, every language group, and every tribe. Son of Abraham. And then second, we saw that Jesus is the son of David, which means he's the one prophesied in the Old Testament who would be born in the line of David, who would establish God's kingdom, who would bring righteousness, forgiveness of sins to all those who put their trust in him and who would judge and punish those who would not put their trust in him. And then who would open up the new heavens and the new earth, where, which are filled with the beautiful presence of God for all those who trusted him forever, the son of David. So son of Abraham and son of David. And in today's passage, Matthew is going to teach us a third truth about Jesus, about his birth, that he was born of a virgin. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have a hard time believing something like that. It might sound to you like a far-fetched idea that a, an unmarried couple came up with to explain how they got pregnant or something. You might think that that kind of an idea, if anybody who writes that sort of thing, like we've seen Matthew has written it, anybody who writes that sort of thing must be maybe like a gullible, starry-eyed, religious nut or something. Well, let's talk about that. That's not what we know about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector in Israel. Here's what that means. Rome had conquered Israel and wanted to tax Israel, which is why they conquered them, or at least one of the reasons. And so Rome needed help to have those taxes gathered. They needed it done by Israelites. And so they made these Israelites a deal that they could not refuse. They needed a deal because if you're an Israelite collecting taxes for the Roman government, you are not going to be liked very much. You will be hated by the Israelites. And so they needed to make a, a good deal for these Israelite tax collectors. And they said, anything you collect other than what's owed, you can keep. That made the Israelites hate these tax collectors even more because they were getting very wealthy at Israelites' expense. So this is Matthew. Matthew is not a starry-eyed, gullible, religious nut. Matthew was street smart, shrewd, crafty, a money-loving tax collector. But then he met Jesus. And in Jesus, he met love and strength and justice and tenderness and holiness and glory and majesty so powerfully that he was filled with a joy like he had never had in his life. Not only that, he was convicted of his sin. He saw his sinfulness. He repented of his sin and experienced forgiveness pouring into his heart through Jesus. And he was reconciled to God, had the joy of knowing God. All this happened because Matthew met Jesus. And so he left his tax collecting business and became a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you? That's what Matthew did. And he wrote this gospel, the first book in the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew, where he talks about Jesus' birth and Jesus' life 
and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. So we've just heard Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 read. So let's ask, what's Matthew's main point in this passage? We want to get Matthew's main point. What's Matthew's main point? Let me just recap the story for you, then we'll think through what the main point is. Matthew tells us that before Mary and Joseph came together as husband and wife, they were engaged, betrothed was the word that was used back then. She was found to be pregnant. And she was pregnant not because of Joseph, but by a miracle worked in her by the Holy Spirit, a supernatural miracle. Joseph did not know that's how she got pregnant. He assumed it was someone else, and so he decided to divorce her quietly, which is what you would do with engagements in that culture. But then an angel comes to him in a dream and tells him that Mary's pregnancy is a miracle brought about by God himself. And that Joseph should name this baby Jesus, which is the Hebrew word for Savior, because Jesus is going to save people from their sins. And then Matthew tells us that all this took place to fulfill a prophecy made 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Prophecy that a virgin will conceive, as a virgin will conceive, and will bear a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel because he will be God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had said. Didn't have marital relations with Mary until she gave birth. Joseph called the baby's name Jesus. That's a recap of the story. So what is Matthew's main point here? Well, one way you can tell an author's main point is by looking at what he repeats. And four times in verses 18 through 25, Matthew repeats the idea that Jesus is born of a virgin. Four times. First, Beginning of verse 18, there's the phrase, before they came together, that is before they had sexual relations. Mary got pregnant before they had marital relations. Second time at the end of verse 18, in the phrase, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Miraculous conception. The third is at the end of verse 20, where Matthew quotes what the angel said to Joseph, quote, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, a miracle. And the fourth time is that Matthew quotes Isaiah's prophecy in verse 23, where Isaiah says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Matthew's main point, it's not his only point, but his main point in verses 18 through 25 is that Jesus was born of a virgin. I think that Matthew, at this point, he, he knows that some of his readers are going to struggle with that. Wonder what? I mean, no woman has ever gotten pregnant without a man being involved. What are you talking about, Matthew? So I think next, Matthew answers the question, why should we believe this? Why should we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised some of you think this is impossible, but just think about it like this. It would be impossible, except for one thing, God. If there is a God, and there is, it's not impossible 
right? I mean, just think about it. In Genesis chapter two, we read about how God created Adam. Remember how God created Adam? Out of the dust of the earth. What? Pick up dust? Adam. He's God. In Genesis two, we read how God created Eve. Put Adam to sleep, took one of his ribs, created Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. What? He's God. See, the God who created the laws of nature can set aside the laws of nature if and when he chooses to. God did this because he's God. He has all power, sovereign over everything. That's how this happened. But now Matthew gives us two reasons why we should believe that we know God can do it, but did he do it? Here's two reasons Matthew tells us why we should believe it's just what God did. One is because it was an angel who said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. This story did not come from Mary, did not come from Joseph. It came from an angel sent from God. Look at that again in verses 19 through 21. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So an angel told Joseph that Jesus would be born of Mary, the virgin, an angel. Now, when you hear the word angel, please do not think about pudgy cherubs in the middle of clouds, plucking harps. That's never how the Bible describes them. Angels are spiritual beings created by God to help us, God's people in behind the scenes ways. We never focus on angels. We never pray to angels. We never worship angels. Our focus and worship and prayer is totally devoted to God in Christ. But angels are still real. And they work in behind the scenes ways like we see happening right here. So picture Joseph. He loved Mary, obviously. They were engaged. He assumed that she'd been unfaithful to their engagements. So he thought he should call off the engagement, which would have been heartbreaking for him. But one night as he sleeps, he has a dream in which an angel comes. Don't call off the engagement, Joseph. Proceed with the engagement. Mary's baby was miraculously created in her by the Holy Spirit. That's one reason we should believe that God did this. We know God can, but that's one reason we should believe that God did. This explanation did not come from Mary or Joseph. It came from an angel sent from God. Second reason is because this fulfills a 700-year-old prophecy. It's amazing to think about. It's what Matthew himself says. Look again at verses 22 and 23. Matthew tells us this to give us another reason why we can believe this. Verse 22, Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Behold, here's what the prophet said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want us to go back into the Old Testament and read that verbatim from Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Understand, this was written 700 years. This was prophesied 700 years before Christ's birth. It's a long time. If We're in 2022 right now. 700 years back would put us in the year 1322. That's a long time ago. That's the time span that's going on here. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote this prophecy. And here's what he says, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, before I read it, here's the setting, just so you see what's going on. God had said that because of Israel's unbelief, Israel was going to be oppressed for hundreds of years by other nations, wicked nations. But God says that's not the end. It's not the end. In the future, God's going to bring a miraculous, astonishing sign to the people of Israel. They will give them hope that, that God is with them. And the sign is described in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Here's the sign that is going to be coming. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. 700 years before Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Emmanuel means God with us. This miraculous baby, this virgin-born baby, will show Israel that God is with them. And two chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9, this same son is called, remember, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's described as the one who will restore Israel bring forgiveness of sins through his sacrificial death, who will rise from the dead and spread his salvation throughout the world to every people, tongue, and tribe. That's the sign that Isaiah wrote about. Yes, hundreds of years of oppression, but this sign's going to come, which will give us hope that God is with us. So imagine that you were a faithful Israelite, suffering under these oppressive kingdoms. God had said, I'm going to give you a sign a virgin is going to give birth to a baby who will be God with us. Can you think of how you would have longed for that virgin birth to take place? Longing, waiting, longing. And then an angel comes to Joseph and in a dream says, Mary, Joseph, is a virgin. This child is from the Holy Spirit. This is a virgin birth. This is the virgin birth. You'd have been very happy. Not only is your marriage saved, this is the sign God had promised 700 years before. God with us. That's the second reason Matthew gives for why we can believe this is what God did. It's because it fulfills a 700-year-old prophecy. So Matthew's main point here in this passage is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And here's two reasons we can believe that happened. An angel from God said this is what was going on, and a 700-year-old prophecy said this is what would happen. This raises another question. Why is that so important? I mean, yes, it's a sign, but why, why is this so important 
in his birth? Why did Jesus need to be born of a virgin? So I read back through this passage. Just trying to say, does Matthew give us any clues to help us see why a virgin birth is so important? And I found the answer in the last five words of verse 23. Let's read verse 23 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This is again from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, let me explain about how names work in the Old Testament. Names could mean two different things. Say, I'm going to call somebody something. That could mean I'm telling you how to address them. Like, my name is Steve. This is how you address me. You say Steve, and I say, that's me. Names can be how you address someone, but names can also mean something different. They can mean how you describe someone. This isn't how you address them. This is who they are. So that's what's going on here. Remember, Jesus wasn't named Emmanuel. The angel didn't say, you shall name this baby Emmanuel. You shall name this baby Jesus. The point of Emmanuel isn't this is how you address Jesus. This is who Jesus is. That's the point. And so who is Jesus? Jesus is God with us. That's who Jesus is. So the reason it's so important that Jesus be born of a virgin is because that shows that Jesus is God with us. It means Jesus isn't just a man. He is a man. He is 100% human being, but he's also God, fully God, 100% God. Now, let me explain more about that. It's so important that we understand. We're talking about our Jesus. This is our Savior. This is the, the Jesus you live for. This is the Jesus who is your life. He is your hope. He is your comfort. He is your strength. This is our Jesus. Let's, let's understand who our Jesus is. The Bible teaches that Jesus has always been fully God from eternity past with no beginning. This is your Jesus. He has always been as fully God with no beginning. So don't think that God the Father created Jesus. He did not. God the Father, Jesus God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all been from the beginning with no beginning from eternity past, forever, eternity past. Jesus was not created by God the Father. There has never been a time when Jesus was not. He has always been. This is your Jesus. This is the one who's your life. He's always been full of joy in fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Problem, though, is that we have all turned our backs on God. We've all sinned against God, walked away from God. We all have. And because of that, we have been cut off. Our sin cut us off from God, who is our all-satisfying joy. We're cut off from God, and we face hell forever because of our sin. That's what's the result of our sin. And so in astonishing mercy, just breathtaking mercy, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to become a man so that he could be born and live and die on the cross to pay for sin. So we could be forgiven 
and restored into fellowship with God, the joy of knowing God. And so Jesus was sent. He became a man. He was 100% God and he took on 100% human nature, except without sin. So in his birth, he was both fully man and he was God with us. He was fully God. So Jesus' virgin birth shows that he is fully God. Now, our friends who are Muslim struggle with this because it can sound like we believe in three gods, Father, Son, Spirit, three gods. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Injil teaches, not what the Torah teaches, it's not what the Bible teaches. Although it can sound like that. What the Bible teaches is very clear that there is one God, only one God, in three persons. One God in three persons. That's not a contradiction. It can sound like it is, but it's not. It would be a contradiction if I said to you that God is one numerically and three numerically. It's like, well, that's a contradiction. And it would be. That's not what the Bible means. The Bible says that God is one in one way and three in another way. God is one, this is very important, in essence, in his divine nature, his God-like nature, power, sovereignty, purpose, holiness, goodness, love. God is one in nature, in essence. But God is also three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each fully God, 100% God in essence, in nature, who have different functions, three persons, each having a different function. Each person, different function. God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son came to the cross and purchased our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit applies that purchased salvation to us. One God, three persons. How many gods? Thank you. One God. How many persons? Three. God is one in essence, in nature, three in persons, different functions. We have no analogy for this three in one. It's one in three. It's not like, like a, a clover with three leaves. That doesn't really work. I mean, it sounds right, three, but no, it doesn't work. It's not like water it can be both ice and steam and, and liquid. No, it doesn't work either. Uh, it doesn't, it's like L is a shell and a yolk and a white. I mean, no. We have no analogies because there is nothing in existence like God. Only God is God. And there's no analogy to explain him. So what do we do? We, we open up the scriptures and we, we read, we study, we think, we pray, God, show me, teach me. We think Think some more. We, we ask our friends to study this and talk about this with us. And we think with them. We pray some more. God, show us. We, we're thinking about one God in three persons. We think, we pray, we study. And then we bow down and we worship. That's what we do. This is our God. One God, three persons. Glorious, amazing, beautiful. This is our God. This is our joy. This is our life. God. Now, that's why it's so important that Jesus be born of a virgin, because this shows that Jesus 
is not just fully man. He is God with us. So why is it so important then that Jesus be fully God? Jesus is God with us. Why is that so important? Let me give you three reasons. Then we'll move into celebrating communion together. One is this shows how much we matter to God. Many people think, well, there's probably a God out there, but I, you know, he's, he's way out there and I'm way down here and I, I'm sure he doesn't ever think about me. He has no concern of his, who I am. We don't really matter to God. But think about this. In Jesus, God became one of us. In Jesus, God became one of us. You can't get more involved than that. I mean, think about it. it if, if you became an ant, not an A-U-N-T, an A-N-T with antennas and, okay, if you became an ant, now that's, that's I mean, the, the lowering of you to an ant, that's nothing compared to what it meant for Jesus as being fully God, nature, essence, to lower himself to becoming a man. There's just no comparison. Becoming an ant is like nothing compared to what it meant for Jesus to become a man. But if you became an ant, that would show that you are completely involved with ants, right? Unless you any volunteers for becoming ants, right? Get it? I mean, you would need to be like really committed to the ants. Do you get that? That's how it works. And in Jesus, God became one of us. It's just astonishing to think about. I mean, who, who could have thought that up? That, that's just... So only God could think that up because only God is so merciful, so compassionate, so great, so glorious that he would become one of us. And understand in heaven right now, Jesus is still fully God and fully man in heaven right now. And he will be fully God and fully man forever. That's how committed he is to us, how involved God is with us. So that's one reason it is so important that God became a man. You matter to God that much, that much. Second reason. It means we can have clear knowledge of who God is. There's lots of people who think there's probably a God out there, but who knows what he's like, or there's no way we can figure this out. Okay, but see, in Jesus, God came to earth. He showed up. He became a man in Jesus. He became one of us. And Jesus showed us who God is and told us who God is. Think about how he showed us who God is. He showed us that God is powerful. Remember, he's out in the storm with the disciples, gale force winds, the disciples, veteran, you know, tough sailors, they're, they're frightened to death. And Jesus says, stop, and the storm stops. Or when Jesus is dealing with a demonized person, commands the demon to leave, the demon leaves. Or when Jesus commands blind Bartimaeus' eye to be healed, that eye is healed. Jesus shows us God's power. He shows us God's gentleness. I love the passage where Jesus welcomes little ones onto his lap and prays for them. Gentleness, love, compassion. 
Think about God's wrath. Think of the picture of where Jesus clears the money changers out of the temple, overturns their tables, drives them out. Wrath. God's wisdom. Jesus stumps the Pharisees times and times again and exposes their hypocrisy with the questions he asks. Brilliant. And then most important, the sacrificial love displayed in Jesus. God's sacrificial love that that Jesus would die on the cross to pay for our sin. So Jesus shows us who God is and Jesus tells us who God is. You read the Gospels. He tells us who God is. He is God. He tells us who God is. And Jesus also said that the whole Old Testament pointed towards who he was as God, who Jesus was. The Old Testament tells us who God is in Christ. And the New Testament, Jesus raised up apostles who wrote perfect truth from God, which tells us who Jesus is. So the whole Bible, so we can open up the Bible and see this is who Jesus is telling us, showing us God is. So the point is that because Jesus is God with us, We can know, we can have clear knowledge of who God is. You can know who God is. Not exhaustively, we never will know him exhaustively, but clearly, beautifully, powerfully, you can know who God is because Jesus is God with us. Last reason. This means we can have complete payment for our sins. There's no sweeter message than that. Complete payment so we can be reconciled into God's presence. How does this work? In this way. The punishment must fit the crime. Right? That's how justice works. And the fact that we've sinned against an infinite God, a God of infinite glory, means we must pay an infinite punishment. Let that weigh on you. You've owed an infinite debt, an infinite punishment. For your sin. I've owed that. We've all owed that. Because we are finite creatures, the only way we can pay an infinite punishment is in time. Infinite time is the only way that we can pay, be punished for an infinite sin, infinitely. Infinite in time, which is why hell is eternal. And that means we can never, we could never pay off our sin. If you're not trusting Christ, you will never pay off your sin. That's why hell is eternal. Oh, we love you, but we need to tell you that's that's just the truth. That's what Jesus taught us. But so in great mercy, Jesus became a man. Get this now. Jesus became a man. A man who was capable of suffering. A man who was capable of having a body that would die. God was with us with a body that was capable of suffering and dying. And Jesus lived the sinless life. So he didn't deserve to be punished at all. And because he's also fully God, he can pay the infinite punishment we deserve. Not in time, but in degree. Think about it like this. Jesus lowering himself from the infinite glory of heaven, being fully God with God the Father, God the Spirit, one essence, one nature, lowering himself, lowering himself, lowering himself to be born as a baby. It's like, are you kidding me? This baby is God. And then growing up and suffering the shame and the humiliation of the cross, being spat upon, being scourged, 
nailed to the cross, publicly hanging for hours before people who are mocking at him and jeering at him. See, that is a, an infinite humbling, an infinite punishment that Jesus endured. Not infinite in time, infinite in degree. And so Jesus, by becoming a man, could pay your infinite punishment that you owe by humbling himself and being punished to that extent. That's why he could say in John 19, it is finished. Because at that point, it was paid in full. An infinite debt paid for all who will trust him. The punishment for sin has been fully paid by Jesus. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, right? And that's why all who bend the knee before Jesus accept him as God's gift of a savior, trust him, are completely forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We are reconciled to God. We will experience the presence of God pouring into our lives, the the, the joy we've longed for all our lives. Finally, we're home. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and forever. Ever-increasing joy all-satisfying joy in knowing God in Christ forever, all because Jesus is God with us so that he could pay the infinite penalty that we owe. Three reasons it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin, showing he's fully God. Shows how much we matter to God. He became a man means we can have clear knowledge of who God is, and it means that we can have complete payment for our sin. Are you trusting Jesus tonight? Come to the manger and and bend the knee and trust him as your savior. Trust him as your Lord. Trust him as your all-satisfying treasure. And if you have trusted him, then Come to the manger and trust him afresh as your savior, as your Lord, as your all-satisfying treasure. God with us in Jesus. Let's pray. We worship you. God the Father, in such mercy and such compassion for sending Jesus, your son, and we praise you, Jesus, for being willing to lower yourself all the way, all the way to being born as a baby, living life so that you would know what we experience, what we feel, how we're tempted, and then going to the cross and paying for sin and saying, it is finished. Thank you. Thank you, our friend. Thank you, our Savior. Thank you, our God. We love you, Jesus. We want to worship you now as we celebrate communion. Would you pour out your spirit upon us, Lord? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.